0: nod (laughs) no introduction necessary well it's a great morning Uh, it's great to be here in fellowship and i would invite you to now bow with me as we continue and enter into god's word would you pray with me heavenly father thank you so much for your love for us thank you for this church that we can be a part of And now we pray, Lord, that as we enter your word, that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts, that you would speak individually to each one of our situations, give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, and the feet and hands willing to be obedient, Lord, to what you ask of us this morning. So we pray that you would speak through this word to each one, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, a story is told of how a little old lady would each and every day go to her local post office to buy two postage stamps. Each day, her, rut- her routine was exactly the same. She would go to the post office and buy two stamps and two stamps only. And so one day as she got to the counter of the post office, the postal worker asked her, you know, you're here every single day, and yet you don't have to actually wait in line with all of these other people to buy your stamps. You could actually go over to that machine over there and buy them in books of 20, Well, yes, I suppose I could, replied the little old lady. But the machine doesn't ask me about my arthritis. (laughs) See, this story conveys a simple yet profound truth people long to be connected to people. Her routine was set up in such a way that the interactions that she even had with the clerk at the postal office was important to her everyday routine. She wanted that interaction, someone to ask her about her day, someone to ask her how her arthritis was doing. You know, this speaks to a deeper need that each one of us has as human beings. We have a need to belong. Each one of us has a a deep, wired need to belong to something bigger than ourselves, to be connected with other people, to be within the context of family. Every last one of us needs a place where people will notice if we are missing, a place where we are appreciated and accepted just the way we are, a place where people will take genuine interest in our lives. A place where, yes, people will ask you about your arthritis or your family vacation or your job or about how school's going or how you're coping with the death of a loved one. That's the way we're made. We need to have meaningful connections with other people. Not to be isolated, not to be alone, but to be in community, together, experiencing life with others. And yet, a man named Vance Packard, he's a sociologist has assessed our modern-day nation today as a nation of strangers. And studies back this up. They show that 4 out of 10 people experience feelings of intense loneliness, where they feel cut off and isolated. 4 out of 10 people say that they experience these feelings. It seems that our culture produces people who are more closely identifying with sports stars, athletes, or maybe their favorite character on a weekly TV show than they identify with their next-door neighbors. Many people in our culture today have become islands unto themselves. But yet, even within this context, if we look closely enough, there are still signs that people everywhere are hungering for genuine fellowship, community, a sense of family, a place to belong. And that is exactly what God intends his church to be, a place to belong. A place where people genuinely and deeply care for one another. A place where people take interest in each other's lives, lift each other up, and hold each other accountable. That is exactly the sort of place that God has intended for his church to be. And so now this morning, I think it's appropriate that we ask the question, what is church? What defines what the church is? I sometimes find it's helpful when we ask a question like that to first define it by what it isn't. So let's begin there this morning. What isn't the church? The first thing that I feel I need to clear up on what the church is not is a popular misconception that we use within our language all the time. The church is not a building. The church isn't a building. The church isn't the walls of this place, or the roof, or the foyer, it's not any of those things. Let me explain. The Greek word used in the New Testament that we have translated into first the German word, I believe it's pronounced kirchia, I probably butchered that, but anyways, it, you get the gist. That's where we then translated from the German word kirchia to the English word church, and it goes all the way back to the Greek word in the New Testament, ecclesia, ecclesia. Which means "called-out ones, or "ecclesia," depending on your uh, pronunciation. And so this word "ecclesia" means "called-out ones, assembly," or a congregation. So as we look at those definitions, do any of those imply anything to do about a building or a structure of some kind? No, none of those are describing a building. They are all, in fact, descriptions of a gathered group of people, an assembly or a congregation. In fact, not once does the New Testament use the word church in reference to a physical structure. It is always used in reference to an organized gathering of believers wherever they happen to meet. In fact, the majority of the early churches did not meet in a building or a structure like this with an auditorium or a sanctuary. They most often met in people's homes. Wherever there was room, wherever someone had a little bit of excess, it was most often in someone's home. Now, unfortunately, we have a problem with our use of the modern English language. We don't have another good word that we can use to describe this building other than church. You know, I use this—I struggle with this problem all the time because I don't know about you, but I just can't help but refer to this building as the church. I I say it all the time. I'm going to the church. I'm going to church Sunday morning. Uh, We're meeting at the church. Or, we're trying to fix the leaky roof of the church, right? This is what we use to describe the physical building. But if the ecclesia, the church, is really the gathering of believers in Jesus' name, then that makes as much sense as referring to your physical house as your family. Think about this. Would you use in your common expressions every day, say, I'm going to the family. We're meeting at family. Or, we're trying to fix the leaky roof of the family. <laughs> now, if you are, I, if, uh, I apologize if you're trying to fix the leaky roof of your family. You may have that problem. But it just doesn't make sense to speak about our family by referring to it as our house, or speaking about our house and, and vice versa. And so the bottom line is this the church is not the steeple, walls, pews, or pulpit of any building. The church is the believers gathered within that building. The church is the people. And just like how your house is simply where your family meets and lives, this building on 66 Bay Avenue is where the Clarny Mennonite Ecclesia meets and lives and worships and serves. So if the church is not a physical building, then what is it? Well, the Bible uses many metaphors to describe the church. One of them being the body of Christ. But the one I want to draw your attention to this morning, the most persistent is that of God's family. Belonging to God means we belong in his family, and that is the church. So the church is God's family. Throughout the New Testament, believers called each other brothers and sisters. They often referred in their letters to a brother in Rome or a brother or sister in Ephesus. And Paul used this language all the time to refer to people who were not physical relatives of his through blood, and yet because of their common belief and faith in Jesus Christ, Paul would say of someone in a whole other country, they are my brother or they are my sister in Christ. Equally, throughout the letters, we see God being referred to as a father. Father. And so we see this picture of family. Throughout the New Testament, we see this taking place. In Ephesus 2, verse 19, our call to worship this morning, we read, Now you are not foreigners or strangers any longer, but are citizens together with God's holy people. You are members of God's family. So this church is a family of believers, gathered together in Jesus' name to worship him, to pray, to be built up in the faith, to serve God, and to have fellowship with each other. That is you and me here present today. Now, being members of God's family is, for me, a very powerful concept. To be a member of something so much greater than myself. If you were a Christian Paul says you are no longer a stranger. You are no longer a foreigner on the outside looking in on God's kingdom. No, you are now a member, a citizen of God's kingdom. And then he takes it a step further and says you are no longer a distant, you know, relative or a stranger looking in on the family table. No, you are a son or a daughter who is being welcomed in by the father and says here is a place at my table, not as a visitor, but as someone who belongs. You are now a son and a daughter, and the most incredible part about this is that Jesus, the only begotten Son of our Father, becomes our older brother, spiritually, through the Holy Spirit. And through this unifying work of the Holy Spirit, we all become brothers and sisters to each other. We see this principle expounded upon in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11. It says, Both the one who makes man holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. And so Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. So you see, both the one who makes men holy, that is God, and the one who are made holy through the work of Jesus Christ, that's us, are now part of the same family. And because of this, Jesus says, I am not ashamed to call them brothers. The Lord Jesus, a brother to us. Incredible that we are adopted into this family. There are countless more scriptures that point to this same truth. The church is God's family. So now this morning, let's do a little look-around exercise. Take a look to your left. Take a look to your right at the people around you. Who do you see? Who do you see around you? Do you see a collection of strangers? Do you know these people? Do they know you? What, what do you think when you look around you? What do you see? I think you see Family right as we look around do you see brothers and sisters do you see those who are maybe grandmas and grandpas in the faith or or sons or daughters do you see this as a family unit or do you just see this as a collection of random people who happen to show up here on a sunday morning what kind of feelings do you have as you look at the people around us we are family that is how god has designed this thing called church to work It is not just random people who get together once in a while. No, we are to live life together as family. Brothers and sisters in the faith. We are family. I want you to say it with me. We are family. Okay, okay, I see how that went, right? Kind of a little wishy-washy. Is this kind of one of those things where you can choose your friends... But you can't choose your family, <laughs> right? It's kind of like, oh, I guess I'm stuck with my family, right? Let's, let's try this again with some enthusiasm this time, all right? Here we go. Say it with me. One, two, three. We are family. All right. Uh, th- that was a little better. It's kind of like when mom or dad forces you to say, I love you, right? To like, it's like, now say it like you mean it. <laughs> but you know what? We really are family. And I feel privileged to be a part of this family. And to be able to say that, that each one of you are brothers and sisters in the Lord. It's a privilege. And so since we are family, I want us to take the next couple of minutes to look at some of the benefits and responsibilities of belonging to this church family. The first benefit we see is that belonging to a church family provides us with strength. There is strength in numbers. None of us can do separately what all of us can do together. Think about that as you listen to this illustration. In an old Peanuts cartoon, Lucy walks into the room and demanded that her brother Linus change the TV channels. What makes you think you can walk right in here and take over, asks Linus. These five fingers, said Lucy, Individually, they are nothing, but when I curl them together like this into a single unit, they become a force to be reckoned with. What channel do you want, sighed Linus? And turning away, he looked at his fingers and said, Why can't you guys get organized like that? (laughs) That is a great illustration on the power of togetherness. Individually, These fingers can't accomplish all that much, but together they become a force to be reckoned with. There is power in numbers. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, Paul uses the metaphor of the church as a human body working together with each part doing its function so that the whole can accomplish what God intended for it. He writes this, beginning in verse 11. It was he, speaking of God, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Now, I want you to notice that not everyone has the same role. Not everyone is called to be a a pastor or an evangelist or an apostle. Everyone is called to something different. And the end result of this is that as each part of the body does its function, the last line says this, so that the body of Christ may be built up. So for the church to be healthy and to function effectively as a whole, each part individually needs to do what it was asked or designed to do. Verse 16, at the end of this passage, we read this. From him, that is Jesus, from him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. I love that last line. It says, as each part does its work. This is what builds up the body. You know, we think back a couple of weeks now to the Olympics, and I know the Olympic Games, the buzz of it has already died down and faded, and now it's part of the historical record, and maybe we'll think back someday to the gold medal victories. But chances are, as you think back in the Olympics, what's still probably most fresh in our minds is the double gold wins or the double gold victories we had in hockey and curling, where both the men's and women's team both brought home the gold. Now chances are between all of us here this morning There's probably some pretty die-hard curling fans and I know there's some pretty die-hard hockey fans So you combine them all together There was a lot of proud Canadians here collected when those Canadian flags were raised to the banner and our national anthem was played and we felt that pride Of our teams our Canadian teams winning the gold in those two team sports But I want to ask you a question. Why did you cheer? Like other than liking the sport, you know, maybe you enjoy curling yourself or maybe you play hockey, other than enjoying the sport, why did you cheer so much and so hard for those victories? Think about it. You didn't throw a single stone down the ice. You didn't sweep it into place. You didn't lace up the skates or skate down the ice with Jonathan Taves or Sidney Crosby or any of the team. You didn't stop a single shot of one of the pucks like Carey Price did. So why do you cheer so much when it wasn't you directly involved with the victory? I suggest that the reason why each one of us cheered so, so loud and felt so proud was because they wore the Canadian maple leaf when they did those things. We felt pride in their achievements not because we directly contributed, not because we, we shot stones down the ice or, or swept them into place, but because they are one of us they are Canadians. We are Canadians. And so by extension, they are one of us, and we are one of them. Their victory becomes our victory as citizens of the same country. And so we realize that we are all a part of something greater, bigger than ourselves, because we are all a part of this nation of Canada. There's Not many TV commercials that I put much stock in, but there was one TV commercial that really stood out to me in this Olympic Games. It was a Canadian tire commercial that summed it up quite well. You've probably seen it if you watched any Olympic coverage. The commercial begins, zoomed in on the hockey player, Jonathan Taves. He's a native of Winnipeg, Manitoba. And as it's focused in on Jonathan Taves, the arena announcer's voice is going in the background. Jonathan Taves, goal assisted by... And the camera slowly begins to pan out, and it shows his parents sitting on either side of him, next to him. And the announcer continues, Jonathan Tave's goal, assisted by the early rising parents. And the camera continues to zoom out, and the announcer continues to say, The backyard rink builders, the tireless fundraisers, the coaches and trainers, the pregame meal makers... And one by one, the camera shows countless people surrounding Jonathan, Jonathan Taves who have supported him in some way, no matter how small. And the commercial concludes with this line, And everyone else's efforts that prove there's no such thing as an unassisted goal. I just thought this was such a perfect picture of how God has designed the church to work. Because it's exactly the same. We are all a part of something far bigger, far greater than we could ever possibly be or do on our own individually. And so as members of God's kingdom, we are a part of a nation that is not of this world, that doesn't have an emblem like a maple leaf on it that we stand up and cheer for. No, we are citizens of God's nation, and each one of us, as brothers and sisters, co-citizens of this country, are part of something so much greater than ourselves. And so when we hear of those in other countries, Christians, who are leading great churches and leading people to the Lord, their victory is our victory. We stand up and cheer with them, not because we were directly involved, but by extension, they are one of us, and so we are one of them. And so within this church body, when one part succeeds, we all succeed. We all stand up and cheer. When in junior youth, Barry stands up and says, A young person gave their life to the Lord last Friday night You may not have been directly involved with the games or the ministry that happened there But their victory that night is your victory because we're all part of something bigger and greater than ourselves And by extension, whatever uh, Contribution we give to the whole of the body by doing our part Enables each individual part to do its work None of us can do it on our own. Just like Jonathan Taves didn't arrive on the Olympic stage to win a gold medal by himself, not one of us can achieve anything great or lasting for the Lord without the support and help of the greater body. And that is exactly how God has designed it to work. I would not be standing up here preaching this sermon this morning if it was not for the greater work, the equipping, the discipling, the shaping of the body of Christ and those who have helped bring me to this point. And so the tide continues to move forwards. Who are you helping to build up, to shape, by doing your part, contributing to the whole? Something greater than yourself. Because remember, these individual fingers by themselves, maybe they can accomplish something, but together they're a force to be reckoned with. So remember, belonging to the church family provides strength. The second benefit to belonging to the church family is it provides support. It's like this story of the old army chaplain who had a sign on his door that read like this If you have troubles come in and tell me about them If you don't have troubles come in and tell me how you do it <laughs> Isn't that how life goes sometimes every one of us at any given point no matter how good things are going There's usually something some trouble we've got to deal with You know jesus did not promise christians a trouble-free life In fact, he promised just the opposite. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. But he didn't stop there. What did he say next? He said, but take heart. I have overcome the world. You know, Jesus is all about helping. He is all about serving and lifting us up. As our master, he set the example for us. On the night of the Last Supper, Jesus could have said to his disciples, my feet are dirty. Peter, get down, wash my feet. What would Peter have done? Yes, Lord. It would have been the right thing to do. Jesus was their master. He was a disciple. And yet, what did Jesus do? He didn't say, Peter, get down and wash my feet. He got down in front of Peter with a wash basin, and he washed Peter's feet. And Peter said, Lord, what are you doing? I should be doing this for you. But as Jesus went around and washed each of his disciples' feet, he concluded by saying, I have set an example for you that you should do for each other as I have done for you. This is what Jesus has set for us. Each one of us, as a part of the body, are to serve one another, to humble ourselves before each other, even if we are considered to be in a higher position by everyone else's standards, to put ourselves in the place of a servant, build each other up. Galatians 6, verse 2 says, Help carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will follow Christ's teaching. You know, we all have burdens to bear, bad days, troubles to endure. But what a help it is to have a church family like this that cares about and is willing to lift you up when you fall down. When you go through those tough times, when you're battling illness or depression or or just those tough situations in life that you don't see coming, to have people around you who will pray for you, to encourage you and say, don't give up, keep going, we've got your back. That is what belonging to God's family provides us with, the support we need. And third and finally, Belonging to a church family provides us with spiritual fuel. Anytime one of God's children gets separated from the greater family, they begin to slowly run low on spiritual fuel, and their fire for God starts to die out, and their spirits begin to grow cold. You know, being a Christian is not intended. It was never intended to be lived out in isolation. Jesus didn't live his life in isolation. He set the example for us to follow. We're not to live our lives in isolation either, but together. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 24 and 25 says this, And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. That last line, as you see the day approaching, is referring to the day of the return of Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but as I watch the news and I look at the world around us today, there just seems to be ever-increasing signs that the day of our Lord Jesus' return is fast approaching. We don't know when, the day or the time or the hour, but we know it's closer today than it was yesterday. And as we look at the signs, we realize his return is imminent. And the writer of the book of Hebrews gives that imminent return of Jesus as a reason for why we should be all the more devoted to gathering together, all the more as you see the day approaching. Do not neglect meeting together, because it is through meeting together that we are fueled, that we are built up to be busy doing our work as a body. That when the day approaches, that doesn't mean we sit idly by and wait for the day to come. No, we get more busy, more engaged with the work of the kingdom, because the day and the time is coming, and we don't know how much time we have left. There's no time to waste. And so we must be all the more diligent to keep meeting together as we see the day approaching. And so we think about this in the context of Sunday morning fellowship and worship. Would, would you rather be worshiping Jesus together, our Father, together with your church family on a Sunday morning? Or would you rather be asleep or watching the game or working or playing sports when he returns? Something to think about. But the main reason the writer gives for being an active participant in the church family is to stir one another up to love and good deeds. When it comes to being spiritually fueled and motivated, there is simply no substitute for being together, physically together, as fellow believers within the church. There's an old story that I'm sure many of you have heard before, but it proves our point very well a pastor went to visit a man who had been absent from church for some time. When the pastor arrived at the house of this wayward member, he found him sitting by a fire of glowing coals. The man fully expected his pastor to rebuke him for his tardy attendance at the services. But instead, the pastor drew up a chair alongside the fire where the man was sitting, just looking at it. Without saying a word, the pastor took the tongs "'reached into the fire and took out one of the red-hot glowing coals. "'He placed it next to the fire all by itself. "'In no time at all, the coal began to lose its glow, "'and in a few minutes it was cold and black "'while the rest of the coals continued to burn brightly. "'The man looked up into the face of the pastor "'who hadn't said a single word and simply said, "'I'll be there next Sunday.'" You see, we burn brighter, we burn longer, together. In the warmth you feel inside your chest as we worship and sing together, that that spirit that we sense being fueled and encouraged and inspired, that is God's work as we meet together as his people. That is your will being stirred into action by his word. That's your passion for Jesus, your love for God and for each other being rekindled. Why? Because we burn brighter together. It's as our Lord Jesus taught us. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Our Father in heaven is present here on earth with us today. He is present here with us today by his Holy Spirit. And the Lord Jesus is present with us today, our brother. He is present He is here because, at last I counted, I'm pretty sure we're over the two or three number, aren't we? (laughs) He is here. His word guarantees that he is here. We are gathered together in his name, and so he is present. He is adding a blessing to this assembly that could not be accomplished if we were just sitting out somewhere by ourselves. It's not that God doesn't meet with us in the lonely, solitary places. Jesus often went off alone to pray, to be together alone with his Father. We need that as well. But there's no substitute in that for meeting together like this, as an assembly, to be stirred up, to encourage each other to love and good deeds. That is what we are called to do as a body, and that is the work that happens every time we gather. Our Father is here today. What is He stirring in your heart today? What is He saying to you? What is He encouraging you with? What is He challenging you with here today? I pray that you will listen to His voice. You see, God doesn't just call us to believe. He calls us to belong. He calls us to love his family and to serve within his family. There's a famous quote from the late president of the United States, John F. Kennedy, JFK. His most famous statement of all time was, Ask not what your country can do for you. Instead, ask what you can do for your country. And so often we get in the same mentality of asking, what can our church do for us? What can others do for me to build me up, to help me, to serve me? And we get this me-centered way of viewing church. And yet I would challenge you with the same words that JFK gave the American people all those years ago. Ask not what your church can do for you. Ask what you can do for your church. Because that is what God has asked each one of us to consider. The example of Jesus Christ. I have set the example for you. I, your Lord, have washed your feet. Now do likewise for each other. What can you do to build up the church today as you do your part? We are God's family. Let's serve one another with love, and we will see what God will do yet in this place. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of being adopted as your children through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That we are no longer strangers, but that we are children. We are citizens of your kingdom. We are part of something so much greater than just ourselves. And that, Lord, as we consider this church here on 66 Bay Avenue, the Clarny Mennonite Church, we realize, Lord, that we are a part of something far greater. We are a part of a greater body of Christ within this town of Clarny. That as each church gathers together this morning, we are brothers and sisters in you. And that, Lord, as we work together in unity, you are honored and your kingdom is furthered, and that this is a witness and a testimony to those who are on the outside who still need to be welcomed in. And so, Lord, we pray that you would continue to, by your Spirit, bind us together in unity. Build us up, Lord. Inspire and encourage each one of us to do our part so that the whole may be built up, that your kingdom may be advanced, and that many more could be welcomed and adopted into your family. Thank you, Lord, for each one who is here this morning. And I pray, Lord, that if there's any here who are not certain of their place around your table, they're not sure if they're yet in your family, Lord, I pray that you would make it very clear to them that any, anyone who desires to enter your family can do so simply by your gift of grace. That we ask, O Lord, that you would forgive us, and that by your death on the cross, we can be forgiven, that we can be received as your children. And so we pray, Lord, that you would stir any hearts to that end, And we pray, Lord, that as we go out of here today, that we will remember that we are your family and that we should build one another up and encourage each other and all the more as we see the day of your return approaching. We say even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Bless each one as we go, in Jesus' name.